0: Today we're talking about conflict, church conflict, uh, and, and really it, it should be applicable to family conflict and work conflict too. Have you ever been in an unexpected conflict? Have you ever said something that just set someone off and you had no clue what you were stepping into when you said it? You thought it was just a casual comment and it ended up causing an explosion? I was in a, a, a worship rehearsal at a church, and, and the worship team was playing, and I was just in the back messing with something. I don't even remember what. And there were two singers on the stage, and this was not at TIC. And, uh, and, and they were going back and forth about a phrase in the song, and, and they were like, do you sing it like, do, re, mi, or do, re, mi. I, you know, they were just going back and forth about which way to sing it. And finally, I interjected. And there's a proverb that says stepping into an argument is like grabbing a wolf by the ears. And I just said, you know what? Uh, Singer A has it right. She's singing it right. Singer B. Looked at me. And she it was like a volcano. And she just said, I know you think that I can't sing. And I know that you think that I shouldn't be here, but I just want to tell you. And she started telling me her qualifications of being a singer. And I, I stepped on a bomb. And all I was trying to do was say, you know what, the singer A is, is singing it like the recording. Have you ever done that? where you just found yourself in this conflict and emotions are so hot and you've got to figure out how to solve this. You've got to figure out how to resolve it. Or maybe someone disappoints you. Maybe someone did something that is hurtful and you just can't believe that they did it. You can't believe the way they've treated you and, and there's conflict or Maybe you hear something about what someone else is saying about you. That's the worst. When someone tells you, hey, hey, Jennifer told me that you did this. That's that's painful, especially when the this is not true or when it's partially true but not completely true. James is the brother of Jesus and he, He's writing this, this letter to a church, and, and they've got some issues. They've got some conflict going on between members. And what's interesting is James does not take sides, but he's giving them principles for resolving conflict. See, we want to be a church that resolves conflict. We don't want to be a church that just lets conflict float around. We don't want to just ignore it when there are issues, when there are problems. We want to address it. And James wants us to address it too because Jesus wants us to address it. And and he gives us some great principles for how to address conflict. And so if you have your Bibles with you and they're open, let's start in James 3.13. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. You know, one of the conflicts in church is when we have different ideas about how things should be done. And in an international church, people from many different cultures, many different backgrounds, many different uh, trainings, we have different ideas. There are different thoughts. And sometimes we can see things and think, you know what? I know how to do it better. And you may be absolutely correct. God may give you insight into what's going on at TIC, and you may know how to do it better than the way it's being done. Absolutely. It's also possible not. But you know what? If God draws something to your attention, it may be because he wants you to get involved in it. And so then the question is, how do you get involved? Well, Paul says, or James, he starts out this way. He says, if you're wise, if you know how to apply knowledge and and this wisdom and understanding, it's the ability to apply knowledge, and yet the understanding is you're you're yielding and eager to know the word of God. So you, you understand what the Word of God says, and, and you also understand how to apply it into specific situations. That's what wisdom is, and we need wisdom in the church. And we need each other in the church, because sometimes you can get stuck in the way you do things, and you just do it because of tradition, or you do it because that's the way it was modeled for you, and it's not always right. I can tell you the way we do things at TIC is not the blueprint from heaven. We're trying to move towards the blueprint of heaven. But right now we're not there. And so maybe you see things that can be improved, that can be changed. What does James say? If you're wise and understanding, start out here. Let people see your good deeds. Let people see your good deeds. You start out by serving. If you want to see things improve, if you want to see things change, you start By serving in humility. Jesus came into a a world that was completely broken. People, everybody's doing it wrong. The religious leaders are doing it wrong. But how did Jesus do his ministry? He started out by doing good deeds done in humility. And so Paul, I, I keep saying Paul, James is telling us that leadership It starts with humility and eagerness for the word of God to obey and to apply God's wisdom to life. But it it starts with service. Now, that's not our natural tendency, is it? I think for many of us, when we see something broken, we want to just jump in and fix it. And and that's what I like to do. That's how I don't want to mess around. I just want to say, hey, this is what's right. Let's do it. But what does James say he says if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts don't boast about it and be false to the truth this is not the wisdom that comes down from heaven above but is earthly and spiritual demonic for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Now, James is writing to the church. He's not writing to an evil corporation of greedy people. He's writing to the church. And that, that word, jealousy, it, it's, it's interesting because it, it's the same word that we get the word zeal. Zeal. And zeal is this passion, this fervency. And commentators, the scholars, they look at this and And they feel like, you know, zeal doesn't quite seem to fit, but it goes with bitterness and their selfish ambition. And so they say bitter jealousy. And jealousy is the fear of losing something. But I think it also, maybe, and I could be wrong here, but I think maybe what James has in mind is passion that is covered with bitterness and anger. Passion with bitterness. It could be passion with jealousy and selfish ambition. That it's, it's an energy that is selfish and angry. And he's saying where you have this, disorder of every kind comes in. So sometimes we see conflict right and and we want to jump in and we want to fix it maybe cuz we feel like our rights are being trampled on we're going to lose something and and so we we attack it with energy with a bitterness but what happens is it's like dropping a bomb you see when 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 there's bitterness in your passion what happens you start to separate people right you got the good guys and the bad guys you got the people on the side of right and the people who are wrong. And you you, you cut people into categories when there's a, a bitterness and a jealousy this this selfish ambition you can come become blind. To what other people are doing right and you just see the negative you just see what's wrong. And so what James is, is saying is when you, when you do it this way, it invites every kind of evil thing in. Because if I've made you my enemy, then I want allies against you. And so I might start to say to Teah, you know what? What did you think of that song selection Bo had? I don't know about starting with that song that's not the fast one. I don't know if she's that good at choosing songs. This line of speech would get me in big trouble at home, wouldn't it? But Bo is safe to use an exa- as an example because she's not my enemy. She's my wife. <laughs> but imagine I start having this conversation with Dea, and Dea's like, you know what? I thought that was a bad choice, too she's really not that good at choosing songs you know what Dea, you should choose the songs and what what's happened maybe I'm I've got this bitter passion where I want things to be better but I'm actually turning Dea against Bo how does that play out on the stage for the rest of us Dea's is gonna be up here Looking at Bo thinking, I don't know if she's, she can do this. I should do this. And, and Dea doesn't have that attitude. But do you see, once the bitter passion starts to get in and I start to make someone my enemy, and I, I look for allies against the enemy, how it brings destruction into the church, and this type of conversation, I think, is actually somewhat normal in churches. Somewhat, it's normal to human nature. And Paul is saying, look, this is unspiritual. This is, it, he even says, it's, or James says it, it's demonic. Why, why is it demonic? Because what does the devil do? He accuses. He lies. He separates He looks to divide people, and then what happens if the worship team becomes divided? What happens if if I say, you know what, Bo just wants the spotlight. She just wants to be number one. And then Dea goes to Bo and says, you know what, Peter thinks that you just want the spotlight. What happens then to the group? And you know, when we're in Asia, In Taiwan, it's hard to confront sometimes, so you just let things sit and hope they go away. But what does it do to our relationship? It fractures things. And once we're fractured, it's hard to be passionate. It's hard to serve with your best if you feel like there are people who don't like you, who are undermining you, and so you start to withdraw. Uh, Other people withdraw, and it, it brings chaos and disorder, right? And so James, James is writing to a church, and this is the way they handle conflict. They start making enemies, and they start finding allies. And the, what they're doing is they, they sow, they just plant distrust and suspicion. And it leaves things unresolved and creates conflict. It's like dropping a bomb into the church and just letting the shrapnel go everywhere. Paul or James is saying this, this is not the way to do it. But then he tells us how to do it. He tells us how to resolve conflict. What does he say? He says. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, so first, you know, what we do want to acknowledge is that there are people in the church who will sin. Right? Everybody, everybody's okay with that? We, you agree with me? People in the church sin. Sometimes we're selfish. Sometimes maybe we do want the spotlight. Sometimes maybe we do mistreat someone. Sometimes we are careless. Can we all agree that happens in the church? Sometimes we have a bad day and we say things we shouldn't have said. Sometimes we mistreat people. That happens in the church. Sometimes the person in leadership makes a bad decision, and it's just wrong. And there was a better way, and they didn't listen to someone who was trying to tell them, I've never done that, I've never made a bad decision in four years, okay. Thank you, Kim. Kim is, she's like, don't lie, don't lie, we've been here for four years. It happens, it happens. Bad decisions can be made, wrong decisions can be made. There can be conflict and conflict because something was wrong and it need to be made right, so how? do we do it how do we address it in a way that is not destructive but brings about a harvest of righteousness because maybe god has been speaking to you about the church maybe he's been telling you something that could be better something that could improve some process some some ministry maybe you are seeing it, and the Spirit is working in you. How do you go about bringing the positive change? Those, What does he say in the, verse 18? A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace. We all want a harvest of righteousness at TIC. At least I think so. I haven't met anyone that says I want chaos and disorder. I haven't met anyone that says I just want it to be all about me. I think, I think, you know, most of us here, and I would say the vast majority, if not all of us, our desire is that there would be a harvest of righteousness. And so when there's conflict, how can we ensure that the result of us entering into the conflict will bring about righteousness? Because we can withdraw from conflict. We can just decide to quit, we can just decide to leave, we can just decide to let things play out. I'm just going to sit here in my seed and, and do my thing, or we can enter in. And James says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace. So the key to resolving conflict that results, in righteousness that results in the church flourishing that results in things moving forward that results in God's glory the key to resolving conflict in that way is to sow it in peace peace brings about righteousness now that doesn't mean you ignore it peace is not just saying okay I'll pretend that day didn't say that my last sermon was terrible to Alfred. And she didn't say that I'm I'm just using her as an example. It's not pretending it didn't happen. It's not ignoring it. But let's go back just one verse and James tells us how to do it. He says this. The wisdom from above. Is pure. Peaceable gentle open to reason full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So if you're going to resolve conflict, if you're going to help bring change, which we want to be a church that is committed to dealing with conflict. We don't want to let disagreements sit. We don't want people to be at odds with each other. We, we don't want factions at TIC. We're, we're a family. And in any family, there's conflict. So, how do we resolve it? The first thing is to start with myself and to say, Am I, okay, am I walking in purity? Am I walking in integrity before God? Am I walking with Him? And, and we do that, how do we know if we're walking in integrity? Are we walking according to the Word of God? Am I living in alignment with his word? And you know what? Probably there's some areas of our lives where we're not. And we want to bring it into alignment. And maybe you see an issue in someone else. Maybe you see an issue in a leader. Maybe you see an issue in a volunteer. The first thing you do, what does Jesus say? First, take care of the plank in your own eye. And so if, if I see a chronic issue in someone else and my eyes are open to it, before I go and talk to them, I want to check myself and say, where am I doing the same thing? This is what Jesus is saying. He, he says, deal with it first. Deal with the plank in your own eye. Then you can see to remove it, the, the speck from someone else's eye. And this works in your family with your relationships. It works in the workplace. So you deal with your own self first but then what's the fragrance what's the fragrance that we want you know that we don't want it to be bitter sometimes we avoid conflict because we feel like you know we just let it sit and sit and sit until there's so much anger and so much passion I just can't take it anymore and it comes out like a volcano that's not the way we want to resolve conflict So I've been patient with you for six months, but now it's it's done. That's not the way. What does James say? It's peaceable. It's peaceable. You're coming with an attitude of peace. It's gentle. You know, there. If you want to know what it's like to be harsh. Just record the conversation of a father with his child the third time after he's gotten out of bed. There may be a little bit of harshness there. The tone (laughs) from the first time to the third time, there's a difference. We know what harsh is. We know what gentle is. How how would you want to be treated if, if you made a mistake? Sometimes we can just watch things go wrong for so long where we finally feel like, man, I just got to let this person have it. I just got to teach them what's right. And we can confront them in a way that's very painful. Because we've been thinking about this issue for months, and the person we're talking to didn't even know it was on our radar. And so we haven't even given them a chance to explain themselves. He says, we do it with gentleness. We do it, we're open to reason. One of the things we want to understand in conflict is that we may not have all the information. You may not have all the information. Some of the information you have may be wrong. And so if we approach a conflict as if we have all the information and all the information we have is correct and there's no alternative explanation, we will come in pretty harshly. But one of our values as a church is to make positive assumptions. We've written in our statement, when we're in conflict with another Member in the church. We're committed to making positive assumptions about their motivations and intentions, and we assume the best possible explanation until we have a clarifying conversation. Bob Goff, an author, he calls it the creepy train. We can get on the creepy train. So, so we hear someone say something about us and and immediately we get on the creepy train and think they hate, they don't like me, they hate me, they don't respect me. And we sh- freeze them out of our lives, but then we go talk to them and they say, no, that's actually not what I said. Our information was partial, not full. And so if, if we make positive assumptions, if we start from a posture of grace, then we can go to them and say, hey, I wanted to ask you about something and you know I was, I, I was reminded of a time when I was going to a church attending a church in Korea with Bo and one day in church we weren't really serving. I was working um, or attending seminary and and we just attended this church and, and one day the senior pastor just he walked by me like this. I was like right where Rick was and I was like oh I you know I, I want to greet him and he just went like this and there was nobody else around. I was like, oh, man, he he doesn't care about me at all. He's not thinking about me at all. I don't matter to him. And that was my explanation. My assumption by him walking by me was he doesn't care. He doesn't see me. I don't mean anything to him. And then I became a pastor. And I realized, oh, man, I... I probably do that a lot. And you're like, yeah, we've been doing this for three years, Peter. And I realize I can become so focused on an issue that I'm just on a mission to fix it, and I, I don't see people around me. And it's not because I don't care, not because I don't like people. It's because my mind is, is on one track. And I thought back to this pastor and the assumption that I made. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't like me. I don't mean anything to him. And and it was just from that one encounter. And if you ask Bo about that pastor, Pastor Dan, what kind of relationship did he have with Peter? You know, you just ask him. She would go on and on about how kind and gracious he was and how many times he met with me and and the advice and the coaching he gave to me and the love that he had for me. But I could allow one passing moment to color everything I believe about him and forget everything else. And we can do that with other people. We can allow one intense moment to color everything about a person. But what we want to do as believers in Jesus is we want to be full of mercy. We want to make positive assumptions and say, you know what? Maybe he was distracted. Maybe he got a phone call. Maybe she got a phone call from home and she's dealing with something and her heart is broken right now. I don't know. Maybe when you didn't get invited to the lunch, it wasn't because people didn't want you there. It was because there were only six seats at the table and six people had been invited. And it wasn't intentionally nobody was trying to exclude you. It's just the way it was. If we just let it sit, if we decide that we're going to make evil or bad assumptions or what is the worst possible explanation, they hate me and that's why they didn't invite me. That will bring destruction to our church. And then especially if I say to, you know, to Taya, I can't believe it. Bo didn't invite me to lunch with the worship team. She didn't want me there. I don't understand. I guess she doesn't like me. Dea cannot tell me what Bo was thinking. Dea has no idea what Bo's intention or motivation was unless Bo tells her. And so when that happens in our church, what we want to do is not go to someone who's uninvolved, who's a friend, who will be sympathetic, and say, you're right, everybody's treating you bad. Because we all have a friend like that, or a mom. We actually want to go to the person and talk to them. Because maybe there's a perfectly reasonable explanation. Or maybe they made a mistake. Maybe they blew it. Maybe they sinned. But if I'm talking to Taya about it, I'm not going to be able to resolve it with Bo. In fact, I'm just going to make it worse. But if I go directly to her, and you know, I can tell you with Bo, if if she did something that was wrong and hurtful, and if you go directly to her, she'll own it immediately, and she'll say, "I'm sorry. That wasn't what I meant." You know, and hopefully, you feel like that if you come to me too. I'm I, When I've screwed up, I just had to apologize to someone last this week and say, I screwed up. Who? What was this? No, I'm not going to tell you the situation. But I had to own something, a mistake that I made. And I say, you're right. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's the kind of church we want to be. That when someone hurts us, we go directly to them first. When someone screws up, we go directly to them first and and talk to them. And we want to be a church that owns our mistakes and says, you know what? I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And the reason we can live like that is because of Jesus, because we don't have to be perfect. We can be full of mercy because we've been shown mercy. We can be we can approach things with peace rather than power, because that's what Jesus did. He used peace to win people's hearts, not force. Do you see how this brings righteousness? That if I've got an issue with someone, if I have a disagreement with someone, if I don't like the way that someone is doing something, that if I can go and talk to them in peace with humility, we've got a great chance at resolving the issue. And if, hopefully, everybody in leadership at TIC has humility and is open and willing to listen, and that if, if someone sees something that can be corrected, that, that you could come up and say, hey, you know what, I think we could do this better. And that, you know, we, we want people in leadership who are open to reason, who are open to listening, and, and if, we can, if we can treat each other like that, if we can live like that, we're going to have a harvest of righteousness. And we're going to be able to go from glory to glory because conflict will actually strengthen our relationships. Resolving conflict will help us grow, will help us love each other more. Resolving conflict is an opportunity to show love. And again, we don't want to be a church that just covers our eyes and says, okay, it's it's bad, but I'll just pretend I don't see it. That, we don't want to live like that. We want to address it. We want to talk about it, but, but we want to approach it with humility and peace. Because James is telling us if we'll do that, there's going to be a harvest of righteousness. And isn't this the kind of community that you want to be a part of? I mean, when you screw up and make a mistake, don't you want someone to come to you with humility and gentleness and, and try to point out things privately rather than publicly? That's what you want. That's how you want to be treated. This is love. This is loving someone the way that I want to be loved, the way you want to be loved. This is not the way the world does it, though. The world can discard people. The world can knock people over. The world can just be a steamroller, bulldozer. But that's not the Jesus way. It's not the Jesus way, and it's not going to be our way. And so what do we need to do? You know, one of the things I, I want to ask you to do is, as someone who comes to TIC is guard the community. King James Version translates that, uh, that word Bitter jealousy is strife, conflict, this, this, this strife, this anger, this bitterness toward one another that, that once you have strife, every evil thing gets in the church. And so what we want to do is when we recognize there's strife, when we recognize there's some bitter jealousy, we, we want to approach it. So if Alfred comes to me and is, is upset and he, he hasn't done this. He doesn't do this. Alfred doesn't complain. But if he were to say to me, you know, Peter, I'm just so upset about, you know, our electric violinist. We actually, we don't have an electric violinist. But let's say, you know, she's always hogging the spotlight. Then I don't want to say, Alfred, you know what, you're right. Because then, then we're, I'm planting strife. What I want to say is Alfred, have you talked to her yet? Have you shared how you feel yet? Don't talk to you know, go talk to her first. See see what she says. Because first I want Alfred to resolve it with her because if I'm not on the worship team, I'm not going to help resolve it. My heart is going to be turned against the electric violinist. I'm going to start to think bad things about her and I'm going to look at her in a new way. But if he goes and he just talks to her, he says, hey, uh, when I'm trying to lead the chorus and you're playing a solo over me, it, it, it's a little distracting for the congregation. And you know what, maybe she'll say, you're right. I'm sorry, I, I just was into the music, I, I was lost. Or maybe she'll say, you know what, Alfred, I don't care. Okay, well, what's my next step? I tried to resolve it one on one it didn't work. My next step is to go to the ministry leaders. So he goes to Bo. Bo, I, I feel like the violinist is, is you know, acting like spotlight. I, I tried talking to her. She didn't listen to me. Could you talk to her? Then Bo and Alfred can go together and have a conversation. See, accusation without conversation equals destruction in the church. But gentle conversation will bring about a harvest of righteousness. A harvest of righteousness. If we can do this well, if we can figure this out, if, if we can treat people well, man, we, we can expand and we can grow because we're not going to lose leaders. We're not going to lose passionate volunteers who are, who are maybe... Sensitive or immature or, or doing things a little wrong, we'll, we'll be able to gently show them the way. And and if if we can correct things well, if the leadership is open to reason, you know, one of the, one of the ways we've been open to reason is is Paul has been talking to me about communication. Saying, hey, it'd be a great idea if we did a communication survey. Just saying you're right Paul that'd be a good idea so actually Rick is going to announce a communication survey because we want to improve our communication. Because you got two emails that were different yesterday. And ideally that doesn't happen again. And that was my fault. Just so you know. But Paul's been coming and he's had ideas for us and, and we're making some adjustments and you may have ideas. And I just want to encourage you to talk to the leader who can do something about your idea. Talk to the leader who can do something about your idea. We want to be a church that receives feedback. We want to be a church that guards against strife. Because if we allow each other to speak negatively about each other, we'll break into factions. And Satan's going to get into the church and James says every evil thing will be there disorder of every kind and so one of the ways we can guard against that is by refusing to listen to it and to say you know what talk to the who's who's the person who can help you resolve this go talk to them first in fact i'll go with you right now i'll go with you right now and i've told the staff that if if someone comes with them and, and, and says something like that, what they will do is they will say to you, you know what, let's go talk to Pastor Peter now or let me make an appointment for you. And, you know, sometimes people say, no, 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 I just wanted to share this. But what I've told them to say is that, well, either you need to go and talk to them or I but I'm going to let him know. Why? Because if we leave it unresolved, it will bring disorder, chaos, and destruction into the church. But if we have a conversation about it, we can resolve it. And maybe one party is wrong and there needs to be an apology and forgiveness. Or maybe there's been misunderstanding. And if there's a conversation, we can correct it. And so I want to ask you to guard the church. Guard the church against gossip. Guard the church against slander. And slander is repeating something that's not true. And if we're repeating something we've heard, it may not be true. Especially if it's, if it's declaring something about someone's intentions or motivations. Because if you don't haven't talked to them about why they did something or what they were trying to do, you don't know until they share it. And so that can be one of the ways that we can slander each other and say, well, I know that so-and-so wanted to do this and that's why they did it. If we allow that into the church, it will bring destruction. But if we say, you know what, we're going to resolve conflict with peace and righteousness, or with peace, with purity, full of mercy, ready to forgive, gentle instruction, we will see a harvest of righteousness. So we don't have to ignore conflict. The worship team can come on up. We don't ignore things that are off. We don't ignore things that are wrong. We don't say, well, I have an idea, but I don't know what to do with it. We just deal with it in the right way, with the right person, with the right heart. James knows there's going to be conflict in the church, and we know there's going to be conflict at TIC. No doubt about it. With as many different backgrounds that we have, as many different types of people that we have, as many different viewpoints as we have, guaranteed we will have conflict. But it doesn't have to be destructive. It doesn't have to harm the community. It can actually result in a harvest of righteousness. Isn't it awesome? Isn't it awesome that God sets up the church like that, that he he knows there's going to be conflict, but he's so worked out his kingdom that we can guarantee a harvest of righteousness if we will do it his way. So we don't have to be silent. You don't have to hide your opinion. You don't have to just hold on to it. We just do it in the right way. We just do it in the right way. We want to be a church that's committed to working through conflict. A church that makes positive assumptions. A church that seeks understanding. A a church that resolves and reconciles. And so we guard against it and we help people who are in conflict to reconcile. Now James says that if you're able to keep your tongue in check, you're a perfect man. And since I haven't met any perfect people at TIC yet, probably, probably, just maybe, Each one of us has an area where we're falling short of Jesus' standard in our words. And so what do we do when we're falling short? We go right to the cross. We go right to the cross and we ask for forgiveness. And so if we've been falling short in our words, if we've been falling short in the way that we've been trying to resolve conflict or deal with issues, if, if we've been making, you know, speaking as people as enemies and trying to recruit allies, we just go to the cross. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Help me to reflect your glory in this area. And the beauty of the cross is that once we confess, it's washed away. And the beauty of mercy is that God's mercy is unlimited. And so may his mercy wash over you. May his grace wash over you. May his love fill your heart and change your heart so that you become a peacemaker. And that as you seek to resolve conflict, you sow in peace. And may you see a harvest of righteousness in your family, in your workplace. May we see it in TIC.